This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne, and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. Well, that was a successful international break, for the seniors at least. Now, with four guests on the show today, we've got a lot to get through on this review episode, so I think we'll just crack on with it, shall we? First up in England's trio of World Cup qualifiers was San Marino. And here to go over the game with me is Aidan Smith from 3lions.net. Aidan, hello. Hello, Russell. You well? I'm very well, thank you. How about you? Yeah, all good. All good, thank you. Always a pleasure to have you on. We're looking back over the, the first game here. Gareth Southgate's 50th uh, in charge. England against San Marino. 5-0 win. Wasn't going to be any other way, was it? Well, yeah, you, you've, you've got to hope so, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, let's just uh, let's just roll through the the lineup as it were. We had Nick Pope in goal, Rhys James, Ben Chilwell, James Ward-Prowse, John Stones, Connor Cody, Jesse Lingard, Calvin Phillips, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Raheem Sterling, uh, and Mason Mount were our starting eleven. Kieran Trippier, Tyrone Mings, Solly Watkins, Phil Foden, and Jude Bellingham joined them throughout the uh, the game. But Gareth Southgate sort of made it aware that he knows his starting eleven for the Croatia game come the Euros. Do you think many of those players that he started last night are going to be part of that? <laughs> well, now you're asking, aren't you? <laughs> um, I think it's important for Gareth to know who he would start uh, at any given time, and I think he does do that. Mm. It could be dangerous if you don't do that. I, I think in his mind... Like, like we've said before, it's very difficult to predict what he's thinking at any one time. Uh, I've tried and, and I've got a lot of things wrong when I've predicted lineups and things like that. Um, so I won't, I won't go over individual players, but I think it was definitely an opportunity. And, you know, there's, there's so long until, until June when we're going to play Croatia. And there's so many opportunities for, for that lineup to change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, me personally, I think, um, I mean, Raheem Sterling is probably going to be a uh, one of those starters. John Stones, I think, has has worked his way back in. Phil Foden coming on, it's where maybe he's just going to be one from the bench. I don't know. He's still got a little bit of time to to impose himself and and sort of get himself right into Gareth's thoughts. But um, yeah, there's a few there that I think will um, will be in that starting eleven. But I mean, let's let's get back to San Marino five nil. What did you make of the the performance? Well, it's a game you've you've got to win for an England team. They, they've got to win that game, um, and they've got to win it by a respectable margin. And um, I think the key to doing that is is going out on the field with no kind of arrogance about the size of your country compared to theirs, the quality of your team compared to theirs. And I think that that showed. You know, we we definitely went out with that mindset. And that showed in the energy, the work ethic on and off the ball throughout the game. I think in midfield, we were fantastic, moving the ball quickly, especially in the first half. I think that's the real test in these kind of games. So a professional performance all round. Yeah, I would say so. 
I did read, I mean, we're talking uh, the day after the game, um, and obviously I've been through various online forums, and there seems to be a lot of people that maybe were anticipating a larger scoreline, people thinking that we should have scored more than the five and that maybe the performance should have been better. But, I mean, Gareth is, is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't, doesn't he? He was never really going to win over supporters with that that game, was he? Well, it's it's a really difficult one for a manager. You know, a lot of the the fans that, that you'll be talking about will have looked at their lineup. They'll have seen that, you know, 15 of their 23-man squad play their club football in San Marino. And they'll be thinking, OK, you know, we could we could even push for double figures here, perhaps. And now, we've never got double figures against San Marino. But it's I always think that these kind of games against against San Marino sides, we've got Andorra in our group as well. These kind of games are a lot harder to, to, to get uh, kind of more than more than five goals than than teams like the Montenegro and, and, and Bulgaria's that we that we played in the last qualifying campaign. And we got six against Bulgaria away. We beat Montenegro 7-0 at home. And these kind of games are easier to get, you know, high margins of victories because these teams will play out. They'll, they'll bring the game to you. Whereas playing against a, a, a white canvas of 11 players who camp behind the ball like San Marino did last night, it's very, very frustrating for attackers to have to do that for 90 minutes. And it can really it cost you energy-wise. Yeah. I'll tell you what, bit of a stat that I have sort of put my put a bit of work into finding this one out since San Marino played their international matches since 1990 they've played 171 games they've conceded 719 goals in that game so the maths the average is they concede 4.2 goals a game so by scoring five we're actually above the average and perhaps people perhaps people shouldn't be too surprised that we we only scored five yeah, I think that's that's something as well. San Marino are playing in, you know, you, you would probably say the best continent in the world for football. You know, I, I look at certain teams in Oceania and I think, well, how would San Marino fare against these kind of teams? Surely they would they would win these kind of games. And that's another thing is um, another reason why I love the Nations League that's that's newly come in. And um, it's fantastic for San Marino and teams like that because you know they've come into to the game against us with two draws in their last three matches. Now that's that's fantastic for them, and that's because they got the opportunity to play against Liechtenstein, Gibraltar, these kind of teams that are, you know, a more similar level to them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to say about the Nations League, it's it's really been it's sort of beneficial, I think, to the likes of of San Marino, um, and yeah, we'll we'll see them, I think, progress as time goes on. But England, what was it, thirteen minutes? To score and people would have obviously thought we would have was scored a lot earlier but we did have some some opportunities early before we actually uh rippled that net James Ward Prowse with his first senior England goal yeah it was it was a wonderful moment for him but like you say we did have a few chances before then I think um Sterling and, and certainly Calvert-Lewin had a couple of opportunities but in these kind of games that's that's what you expect to happen and it was all about getting that first goal and getting into their rhythm and I think they did that from kickoff really, really well. Yeah, Dominic Calvert-Lewin, yeah, scored the next one with a uh, a nice little header. Raheem Sterling got the third one, which took us to 3-0 at half-time. And then Dominic Calvert-Lewin got his second one following a Jesse Lingard cross. Come to, to Lingard in a minute. But uh, yeah, Ollie Watkins rounded it all off with a nice debut goal as well. So all in all, some, some good goals and some good all-round 
England performances. Yeah, and I think the, the main takeaway point from that is that the players who scored, the players who assisted, the players who, who you know, went out on that field last night and had a really good go, had a good performance, that will give real food for thought. And like we were saying earlier about this, this team that Gareth's got in his head, this is going to be ever-changing between now and, and June. And all they've got to do is go out and, and sell themselves. And I think that most of the players on that pitch last night did exa- exactly that. Uh, so I mentioned Jesse Lingard. Um, I must admit, immediately after the game, I thought, you know, what? I think he's had a uh, he's had as, as good a game as he could have had without scoring, and he may have been the uh, may have been my man of the match. I don't know who it officially was given to, but uh, and then I thought actually Mason Mount had a a very good game as well. Well, yeah, Jesse Lingard was the official man of the match as well, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, he did do absolutely everything. But score, yeah, I th- and he had a couple of lookovers at the at the goalkeeper um, Benedettini, who was certainly keeping him out by uh, quite a bit. I think quite a lot of his ten saves were from Jesse Lingard as well. But like you say, Mason Mount as well is a fantastic young player, and he's adapting well to, to Southgate's system. He's, I think, he's changing the profile of his game quite a bit. He's become a bit more of a a deep player, maybe more of a number eight than a number ten, like he was at Derby. I would say. And he's showing what he can do off the ball as well as on it. Yeah. The San Marino goalkeeper, I thought, was I thought was outstanding. A couple of great saves. The one where I've got to try and remember who who had the shot now, but it was it was going top left hand corner, I think, and he one handed save just around the post, which I thought was was great. Um I was I didn't I didn't know whether the ITV commentators maybe patronised him a little bit, saying it was just a, a great save like that, being from what country he's obviously representing. But, I mean, with saves like that, he, he can quite obviously move up within the, uh, the Italian league or, or he's put himself in the shot window for maybe a move anywhere to a higher level. Yeah, I think I think we've got to be careful because these kind of players, they don't they don't choose where they're born. They don't choose who they play for. And and. You know, you do find the odd player who is a standout performer for their country who could quite easily make it into, you know, national teams of higher quality. And I think he was uh, he was fantastic last night. And I remember thinking the same about Aldo Simoncini, who uh, was San Marino's previous goalkeeper when we played them back in 2012, uh, 2013. Because these kind of games, they lend themselves to the, the goalkeeper of the underdog because you can't really lose out at that point you you can be a hero and keep lots of shots out and you know if you if you let a few in then they're hardly going to be your fault really are they um unless you've made a dreadful error which which luckily he didn't and you know they've they've come to Wembley and they've given it a good go and that's that's kind of what you would ask of them if you know as a neutral and that's exactly what their manager will have asked of them absolutely so we come away, 5-0 victory, top of the, the group after the first match with Albania on the horizon. They beat Andorra by a goal to nil. Poland drew three all with Hungary in what appears to be quite an exciting game. Um, and, and all of a sudden that puts us in the driving seat, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I think come the end of the qualifying campaign, we, we fully expect to be in the driving seat and, and, and finish, finish top. That's something that a country of our quality needs to be doing. And we have been doing in qualifying. We, we do have one of the best qualifying records for, for European championships and for World Cups in recent years. But yeah, there are some challenging sides in this group. And I think certainly looking at Hungary and Poland, they are two teams who like to attack. A lot of emphasis on their attack and their midfield. And they will challenge our defence. But then also you've got teams like Albania and the other two, San Marino and Andorra, who will, you know, give you a bit of a test at the back as well. You've got to find a way past their defences and actually they've got 
a lot better defences than some people might appreciate. Yeah, I think you're right. It's going to be a be an interesting campaign um, and looking forward to, to seeing how it all pans out. And I mean, yourself, you are... Uh, you've got the website, threelions.net. You, you've already written your report for this game that's just gone. Five again as England ease past San Marino. Website going all right and the blogs? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good. It's um, trying, to, trying to get one out every every week or, or 10 days or so, and um, hopefully some interviews to come as well, which would be really good. Okay, well, keep us posted. Yeah, I shall do, I shall do. Lovely. Aidan, thank you very much for your time, as always, and, and let's speak again as the campaign goes on. Yeah, I would love that. Thank you, Russell. Now, thanks to Aidan there. Time to catch up with Matt Asprey and reflect on Albania. Matt, hello. Hi, Russell. How are you, mate? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm doing well, thank you. Good to hear. Albania, hot on the heels of the 5-0 win over San Marino. 2-0 win in Tirana for us. How did you feel about that? It was a typical tough uh, away win. The game wasn't anything to really remember. I think the main talking point in the first half was the pitch. The pitch was a huge problem. I think it was evident from the first, first kick that speed was going to be a problem for England. I mean... Even though there was a request that England made for the Albanian ground staff to cut the grass, I wasn't surprised they hadn't. I mean, I think any team of that stature would do that against the big teams, just try and put them off the game as much as possible. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was a hard-fought win, but England did deserve it. I think they created a lot of chances and uh, no, it was a very strong win in Tirana and you know it sets up nicely ahead of the, uh, ahead of the Poland game anyway. Yeah, you're right. Let's just go through that team. There were six changes from the San Marino game. Only Pope Stones, Philip Sterling and Mount remained in from the starting lineup. So there was Pope, Walker, Shaw, Rice, Stones, Maguire, Foden, who was replaced by Lingard, Phillips, Ward-Prowse came off him, Kane, Sterling and Mount, which takes us, the 2-0 win takes us on to an unbeaten run of, of 23 World Cup qualifying games. We played Rice and Phillips, two defensive-minded players, you'd say. Do you you agree with that? Is that the way we're possibly going to go? Well, there's a good article that um, Jacob Steinberg wrote in The Guardian about this because people, the problem is with, you know, England fans who just tune in to watch the games. I think it's a bit different for those who go and travel and go and watch them because you sort of understand it a bit more like why they're doing it and, you know, the sort of teams they're playing, but... They've always seemed to be with Southgate this um, outcry for all-out attacking the England team. When at the end of the day, in international football, they're not very often high-scoring affairs. When you come up against the top teams, it's only when, for example, England's five-nil win over San Marino on Thursday, when you're going to have a goals fest. When it comes to the bigger teams, the tournaments, it's very tight. If there's not much between the two teams. And I think, uh, I mean, Gareth Southgate has said he knows what his starting eleven is for, for that opening uh, Euro 2020 game. And if I see Phillips and um, Declan Rice in there, I wouldn't be too worried. I think Gareth there, what he's doing is he's, he's trying to protect that back four. Because I think what he's going to have to be aware of going into the um, Euros is that once they get past that group stage, fingers crossed, obviously, the teams they could come up against, they're going to have a lot of pace and quite often international football, teams do rely on the counter-attack. So I think 
you've got two good holding midfielders there in Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice who can protect that back four because really, when I look at the back four that was played against Albania, there's not tons of pace in there. I mean, there's only Walker really that is known for his speed. Stones and Maguire aren't exactly, you know, the two players you'd expect to be powering up the pitch. And Shaw is a great player, but again, pace isn't his strong point. We saw he does have it, but against the better teams, he might get nullified. So, I don't know why people go up in arms about the two holding midfielders. As it said in this article that I read, is that Gareth Southgate is not playing fantasy football here. People think being an international manager is playing fantasy football. At the end of the day, it's what system works and what system can get you through a tournament. And if he feels that having two holding midfielders in front of the back four can do that and bring us to hopefully end that long-awaited period of wanted to win international silverware then go for it because at the end of the day we have four in that incident that game against Albania we had Mason Mount Raheem Sterling Harry Kane and Phil Foden I mean those are four great attacking players and you know we've got Walker and Shaw as well who aren't afraid to get down the wings if they have to and also what people often forget is that Calvin Phillips and Declan Rice they do have a great range of passing as well I mean Calvin Phillips more so I don't see why people are losing their minds over having two holding midfielders. I didn't have a problem with it personally. I think the only problem I had with the team was Harry Kane. In my opinion, he kept dropping into midfield too much. And I think that's why people are quick to jump on Gareth Southgate's back when it comes to the holding midfielders is because Harry Kane keeps dropping in when he doesn't really need to, but it's because it's what he does at Tottenham. He Mm. drops into into that midfield and really he needs to stay up top and let the likes of Calvin Phillips, Declan Rice, Mason Mount, get the ball up to him. And Carrie Kane just needs to stay as that striker because if he keeps dropping to midfield, it's going to get cluttered. And I think at some point during that Albania game, it looked like there was just too many bodies in midfield and no one knew where to pass to, especially with how the pitch was as well. With how ridiculous the ball was when it was coming off people's feet, I think Harry Kane, in future England games, I like to see him just stick up top a bit more. You're there to score goals. Don't worry about what's happening behind. You're just there to score them. We've got enough players of high quality who will give you the chances just to stay up top and put the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, and I think um, well, I think it's safe to say Gareth is playing the long game. He knows what's coming up, the potential, as you mentioned, for the Euros. Um, and as well, I mean, it may not even be Phillips who, who gets that starting nod because what if Jordan Henderson hopefully coming back to fitness, I, I would imagine Jordan Henderson would, would take over from Phillips in that position. He mentioned Harry Kane as well. He had a, uh, a bit of a gold drought, but he finally uh, finally got over that. He went, was it about six games uh, without scoring? But he's now up yeah. to 30, 33 goals in 52 caps. And I kind of compared it. I mean, obviously Wayne Rooney, he got 120 caps, 53 goals. Surely he's going to uh, topple that, will he? Yeah, I mean, it all depends on his fitness at the end of the day. That, I think that's the only problem I have. That's, besides the team, the one of the most growing concerns I have is the fitness. But I think every fan of the countries in the Euros is going to be concerned about that because, as we've seen already, players are pulling up with muscle injuries quite frequently. And in an international tournament, trying to keep that start 11 or keep those top players in good enough condition to keep going it's uh, it's hard enough when it's in a normal year, not one which has been ravaged by a pandemic and the football season, the clubs has been so congested. Yeah. So I think Harry Kane's fitness is going to be crucial in terms of whether he beats that record, but I'm confident he will beat it. Uh, I think with this England team, with the players who have to be behind him, I think he will 
get there. So, no, as long as Harry Kane keeps fit, I think England's striking department will be fine and hopefully he can break a few records. Yeah. And uh, obviously, Mason Mount got the, the other goal. Um, nice little deal, sort of dink over the keeper for there. Mason Mount is, is looking like a shoe in now for a starting position every time now, isn't he? Yeah, it was just a lovely finish. I mean, it was just so satisfying to watch. To you know, he went for the harder option, dinking it over the keeper, and it was just great to see. And he really has come on leaps and bounds. So, regardless of you know all the Jack Grealish jokes, all the rivalry, mm. you know, based on being perceived as some teacher's pet for Southgate. I mean, for what I've read and for what I'm hearing is that Mason Mount is just developing into not just a good player, but also a really nice person. So. You know, he's willing to take on advice. He's willing to help others out in the team. He seems to have really um, flourished in these past few international breaks. Maybe it's because he has seen all the little jokes he gets thrown at him with regarding the Grealish stuff. So I think it might be he's out there to prove a point, but he just looks at home now in that England midfield and he should be starting. I mean, regardless of the Grealish Mount, but I think now I'd say Mount has to start. He's looked really good. And I think... He's, he's going to be a beacon for English football to come. And, you know, it's very early to start saying some of this, but I think with how he's acting on the pitch at the moment, if he keeps that up, he could be a future captain once Harry Kane steps down. I'm just putting it up to some what are you want about Mason? But from how he's coming across, he seems like he's going to be a good ambassador for this country when it comes to football anyway. So I think if Mason Mount keeps doing what he's doing, he could be a really key figure in the Euros. And later down the line, I think he could be wearing that captain's armband. We shall find out. The one other player that I wanted to sort of mention, Nick Pope, six caps, six clean sheets. Uh, everyone's sort of talking about him. He's only got the nod um, because of obviously Jordan Pickford's injury. But taking nothing away from that feat, the teams he's faced are Costa Rica, Kosovo, Wales, Ireland, San Marino and Albania. Uh, should we read too much into that? Is I mean, it's a record, yes, but I'd like to see how he's going to stack up against the the big boys who, as you say, come the Euros, if he does get the nod, the potential of coming up against your Frances, your Germanys of this world, then he really will be tested, won't he? I think that's the problem with international football. Obviously, because England is so highly ranked, the problem is, is that when it comes to the qualifying games, they are facing, you know, no, she's a, well, there's a huge golf in ability. There's a few stages in the Albania game looked a bit shaky. His distribution was a bit off. But again, I think that was down to the pitch again. And it's annoying that we have to keep bringing that up, but that did have a factor. Mm. And there were a few straight kicks and things like that with Nick Pope. But it was one valid uh, conversation that was brought upon the ITV's coverage um, after the game is that the only thing with Nick Pope is tournament experience. He doesn't really have enough fit. While with Pickford, he has been there and done it as such. I know he can be temperamental and he can frustrate me at times when watching him and he can frustrate anyone. Well, away trips, he can do stupid things and you're thinking, what, what's he doing? But the thing is, he's been there and done that with England in terms of getting to the latest stages of tournament. I mean, he ended England's dismal penalty record. He's got a lot in his locker, Pickford has. And I'd assume that Pickford will be starting in that game against Croatia. Nick Pope is a great backup and a great you know, substitute for Pickford. But I just think tournament experience is the major factor that will play that will be in Pickford's favour. But again, tournament experience is a problem. Pope needs to be given it. So it's going to be an interesting fight between the two of them. I think Jordan Pickford will see that record now and 
and looked at it and go, I can't make any more mistakes. So it'd be for Everton or in England's warm-up games. He can't make any more mistakes. Otherwise, he is in danger of losing that spot. But I think tournament experience is a major factor. But, you know, it's clean sheets. I mean, if this was in England of old, it could be them losing to some of those teams. So he's, you know, treated it like any other game. He's treated like a cup final in terms of how he's kept a opposition uh, strikers and scoring. So, no, it's going to be an interesting battle. But if Pope starts... Fair play to him, he earned it, but I can know for some reason I can just see Pickford lining up against Croatia at Wembley come June. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, it was an away game where we just went in, kept a clean sheet, three points, got the goals, job done, get home, I think was basically the the, the end of it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a smashing grab, really. If there are fans in there, it could have been very different, could have been very hostile, but I think with any trips like that, I mean, it's going to be similar when they go to Poland in September it's going to be a smashing grab, just get in there and get out. I mean, I think that's the thing with qualifiers now, especially now that the top two don't qualify, it's the top one that automatically qualifies. So I think in England's case now, for any England fan with these away games, don't expect 4-0 unless you're playing San Marino away, then expect some goals. But uh, for these more difficult teams, just expecting them to go in there, it might be tough to watch, it might be boring, it might not be great, it might not, you know, set the world light, but get the three points to get out of there and then we can focus on the, the end goal, which is hopefully from that World Cup in 2022. So, yeah, it's just a classic smash and grab. Exactly. Matt, thank you very much for your time, as always. Uh, what is it the website? Mattasbury.wordpress, I think, is it? Yeah, mattasburysport.wordpress.com. Blog post should be out by the time this episode of the podcast goes out. It's called uh, New Year, Same Old Sofa. So I'm still, uh, still going on the theme of watching it on the TV, but hopefully come the summer we can watch the games in person because we holding on these tickets now for over a year they're burning a hole and I'm, they need to get you so hopefully we're going to get a decision from UEFA at some point next month about what's going on so yeah fingers crossed but yeah the post the blog post should be out and uh, yeah thanks for having me on Russell it's always a pleasure to come on the Three Lions podcast you're more than welcome cheers Cheers to Matt Ashbury there. Now, I'd like to welcome to the Three Lions podcast, Swindon and England Travel Club member, uh, Rob Pomfret, who uh, you may have seen was photographed in his England shirt outside the Air Albania ground in Tirana on the day of the game. Possibly the only England fan out there. Rob, you all right? Yeah, not too bad, considering. <laughs> Been a whirlwind day, but... Uh, yes, I'd imagine. Yeah. How did all this come about? So few weeks ago was stuck in the UK and I was with my missus who's German and realized that we're probably going to need a form to leave the UK so literally booked the next available flight to North Macedonia because there was no isolation or test needed and yeah it was easy, easy to go went from loot and no questions asked and one thing led to another and then the land borders are open here so I ended up coming to Albania and thought might as well stop by in the capital for when the game is as you do why not we all wanted to be there um we were there the only england fan there have you seen anyone else on your travels i've not in macedonia i saw a few english people whether they're fans or not i don't know but in albania i've not seen a soul no. not seen a soul at all and the photo of you outside the ground there i mean did anyone anyone say anything to you did they, what are you doing here no not at all it was 
I took my mask off for the photo because it's sort of mandatory to have a COVID mask on in the street. But you just, as long as you put it on your chin, you're fine. You don't really need to take it too literally. But yeah, no one said anything to me. I I felt a bit weird, to be honest. So, uh, I mean, the the ground looks a strange old place, doesn't it? Mm. Oh, yeah. I've not seen the ground anything like it because they've got some massive sort of hotel office block thing that's, I think it's 112 metres tall or something. So, Yeah. yeah, nothing like I've seen before. And it's so, brand new. Yeah, no, it's not been open long. I mean, did you see the team arrive or, or that sort of thing? Oh, yeah, that was that was one. I was in the cafe that was sort of alongside the ground. So they got various bars and stuff, part of the ground complex. And I did see the team enter. I, I got a wave off Gareth, and that's about all I could see. So Quality. Oh, good stuff. Yeah, I was, I was sort of stood as the bus was coming past because I thought, why not? Yeah, Gareth spotted me, but then the rest of the windows were blacked out. So Right. So I couldn't see the players properly, no. but I could see Gareth. Nice one. I mean, well, there are plenty of, oh, must have been plenty of Albanian bands ready for the for the game as well. Did you did you speak to them? Did you like strike up conversation, yeah, well, get banter well, going? Yeah, ended up going to this pub sort of about 10 minutes from the ground, full of Albanians watching the football. Yeah, had a bit of crack, watched the game. Quite an uneventful game. And with everything that was going on, I wasn't completely focused on it. It just everything just exploded. I'm, I'm sort of in the middle of the game, and I'm getting sent an article going, "Oh, you're in the sun." By the way, I thought, "Oh my god!" Really? I mean, yeah, and... it, it's made all the tabloid papers and that. How do you feel about that? Because I mean, you, you're there legitimately. Mm. Yeah. Obviously, I'm more than happy traveling and doing the things I want to be doing. Mm. But then, I guess other people, given the situation at home, are probably. Yeah, some of them aren't going to like it. They're going to sort of resent against it. Nothing I can do on my part, but just enjoy the enjoy my experiences here. So absolutely. I mean, unfortunately, yeah. In, in this world we're currently living in, there's possibly a little bit of jealousy um, and that sort of thing. I'd say the one thing that's annoying is that, like, the way it's been portrayed is that I've travelled for the England game, and I really haven't. I've just it just happened to come along my way. Yeah, because it. It would look a bit ridiculous if someone flew to Macedonia and then got a bus to Tirana just to stand outside the ground, which is obviously not what I have done, but it's very much been made out that way. Yeah. Yeah, all my mates are absolutely chuffed to bits that I'm out here and finding it absolutely hilarious, everything that's gone on. Obviously, you posted it on, was it Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and then one of the big, I can't remember who it was, but one of the big accounts sort of just found you and, and pushed it out there more, I think, didn't it? Yeah, I think it it was just some sort of like web where one thing led to another, and I, I was I was sat in this sort of quite dingy bar when I when I posted it, and then I'm thinking, oh, I got twenty likes on Twitter, and I'm thinking that's quite a lot for me. And then next thing, I'm getting shared by some England away days page, and then it's on Sport Bible, every bloody thing under the sun. On the, it's all it's all on Facebook. But it was so funny, some old guy commenting saying, bring back hanging. I just thought that just was hilarious. You've gone viral. My mate actually said it to me the other day. He said, the only thing you need left to complete your traveling is to go viral. I guess I've ticked that box without even meaning to. So <laughs> I just thought a few of the England boys would like it. That'd be about that. That'd be about it. So I posted a message in the travel club forum. I think it must have been about Thursday, just to see out of curiosity if anyone was out here. Right. At first, someone was like, are you taking the piss sort of thing? But 
well, yeah, you would think that. Mm. And I was like, no, I'm here. I just wanted to know if there was any others because I was going to see meet up, yeah. go to the pub or whatever. But you are, let's mm. say, a travel club member, aren't you? Yeah, I've been a travel club member for a couple of years now. So looking forward to the games in the summer as long as we're able to go, which would be amazing. But Yeah. What's your England highlight um, that you can remember? What was the best part of following England? I've, I've got to say the World Cup run back in 2018, because it's the first time I've really seen us go far in a major tournament. Yeah. And the semi-final was the day after my birthday. And my, my birthday, I just couldn't take seriously because I was just so stressed about this Croatia game. And yeah. It was an unreal experience, but absolutely devastating to not go all the way. It's yeah. 100% that's my highlight. What about going forward? I mean, you mentioned the the game yesterday. I mean, it, it wasn't the best of games, but we've got the job done, which is the, the main thing. Uh, where do you see us going from now? Well, we've got the game against Poland Wednesday, and with Lewandowski picking up a knock, it should be a much easier game than it would have been. I think we'll qualify comfortably, certainly for the World Cup. We've got a relatively easy draw, and... I actually live in Hungary and that's our next game. So I'm very much looking forward to that. It'll be a bit of a home one for me. Okay. How did you find yourself in Hungary? Well, I've I've been traveling for a year and a half, sort of on and off, trying to do it in the pandemic, but ended up finding a hostel there that I absolutely loved, sort of settled down. But where it's closed, there's nothing else to do right now apart Mm. from travel. So making the most of the time I've got and then hopefully head back there in the summer and I will be living in the city when they're playing. So, right, okay. Is that what Hungary, as in Budapest, when they're during the Euros? Yeah. So no, I'll be there. I'm sort of heading back around August time, so I'll be there for the qualifier. I'm going to be at home for the Euros because I've got some tickets, and then sort of head back after. Traveling is a passion of yours. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I love traveling in general, but if I can fit it in with England, then it's just a bonus. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, how's COVID affecting your trip and all that sort of thing? Well, at the moment here, it's they've got masks required, but they're pretty stringent with it. And bars and restaurants are open till eight in Albania. It was nine o'clock in Macedonia. And then they've got a street curfew, but it's not that strictly enforced. For example, we, we were in a bar the other day and they let us stay an extra hour and a half, that sort of thing. So obviously it's not complete freedom, but it's a million times better than anything that's in the UK right now. So yeah, yeah I feel very fortunate. Sounds like a modern day lock-in being allowed an extra hour. <laughs> oh, I know. It's, oh, it's a weird one. <laughs> there was talk of them extending the curfew to 10, but no, this is the one region where COVID's actually improving compared to the rest of the continent. So Okay, so it's a, a positive environment to be in at the moment. Where's yeah, next then? Um, I'm not sure. I think I'm going to spend a couple more weeks in Albania. My missus goes back to Germany next week, so then I'm going to be travelling solo. I may do some volunteering here or head to Kosovo, I think, would be my plan. But if I'm volunteering here, then technically I'm breaking no laws at all because that's an exemption to leave, so nobody could say a thing about it. Yeah. And I've had all these people calling for a £5,000 fine and that. I wasn't even in the country when that yeah like that was put in way after so it's up completely off the line anyway so yeah I, th- I think as I say people are maybe a little bit envious of you being there and and just not understanding yeah. your circumstances but uh yeah as, as long as you're you're doing it all by the book and it's all legit then mate I, I'm 
pleased for you. I just perhaps the people yeah. back home and and uh, who are sending you these messages just need to give their head a little bit of a uh, yeah. little bit of a wobble and uh, and just wake up and just just be pleased for you. I'm I'm chuffed. I think it's been great for you. Listen, mate. Um, I wish you all the very oh. best. Safe travel yep. onwards, and uh, yeah, come the Euros, stay in touch. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, I'll I'll be in England for the first game. On, is it June the thirteenth? I think it is. So yeah, yeah, I'll be there. Nice one. And if people want to follow you on Twitter, if they haven't already found you, if you want to, do you want to give that? Yeah, might as well. It's just my name, Rob Humphrey. So I'm sure everyone has probably seen what's been going on. So yeah, hit me up. Nice one, Rob. Stay positive, mate, and enjoy your travels. Thank you very much. So on to the third and final game of this international window, Poland at Wembley. Lewandowski teased us. First, the Polish FA said he wasn't coming due to German COVID rules. Then he played and scored against Hungary and Andorra and he was coming to Wembley until a knee injury put paid to that. And not only that, but a few Polish players were struck down by COVID too, apparently. Uh, on the team front, one change from the starting lineup against Albania. Ben Chilwell came in for Luke Shaw. And as always, it's, uh, it's always a pleasure to bring Dom Smith back into the fold from EnglandFootball.org. Dom, hello there. Hi, all right. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good to have you back. What did you make of it last night? Yeah, I, I have to be honest, I'm quite pleased that it was a win from um, having been pegged back by the Poles. I, I thought that was good experience, um, especially in a competitive game ahead of the European Championships. It's, it's one of those international breaks where, you know, Poland are a good side, but it could it could have easily been sort of, you know, a 5-0, a 2-0, and let's let's say another 2-0 when you don't really go away having learned anything. But I'm almost pleased that there was that, that there was the um, the slip up and the goal conceded. You know, the way it was it was conceded is also a good thing because you learn from that, don't you? Um, it's kind of inevitable, isn't it? That feels like sod's law that the first mistake John Stones makes all season happens in like what would it have been his, his third England game of the year, which is quite un- unlikely, but um, I suppose inevitable for, for us England fans. But um, I'm pleased that we um, that we got the win in the end, and I think it, I think it showed real. I think what it showed was that England are a unit because um, you know it was assisted by Stones who climbed really high to 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 get it back to his his partner Maguire. And um, Maguire went straight over to him and um, and celebrated, which I thought was 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 a really nice touch, and just showed that they're together. M- Maguire has said in interviews before that it, that he thinks that um, John Stones is the best defender he's ever played with, which I think is quite a nice compliment. And I, I spoke to Harry Maguire after the game, and he was, you know, he basically just talked about John Stones. He didn't talk <laughs> about his goal. He didn't talk. He talked about the three points and how how important World Cup qualifying is. And, and looking at the other nations, the other big nations, how they've all dropped points and what, what how actually impressive it is that England won three out of three this break. But, but other than that, it was just him talking about his partner, which I think is quite telling, really. I, I guess he's bringing his sort of captaincy from Manchester United, that role he takes on there, um, even though he's obviously not captain of England, but bringing that... Mm knowledge and support um, of being a, a club captain into the England fold. Um, but it started well. Um, it took us 18 minutes to get going. Raheem Sterling bought down and, and Harry Kane popped his penalty away, didn't he? I mean, Sterling had a, uh, had a, had a good first half, I thought. He had some some good runs at the, the Polish defence, but then sort of, sort of tailed off as the team did in the second half. Agreed, and I think I think Sterling um, Sterling's been a slight victim of, of of England talk about who will squeeze into that 
that starting 11 at the Euros because he hasn't had quite as barnstorming a season by his you know high standards as he has in, in recent years. But he, if you still look at it, like the numbers he's put up this year, they're not quite comparable to the last two years, but they're absolutely incredible still. And even when he went those however many ridiculous number of games for England a few years ago without scoring, he still was assisting a lot of goals and, and basically every second penalty England won in that time, he was the player who won it because he's just so dangerous when he makes those little darts into the box and, and he did it again. And um, yeah, I think you'd say minimal contact, but but it probably was a foul and it gave England a foothold in the game. I mean, on, on Kane, um, by the way, he, he became the, the England's all-time top scorer of penalties with 10 edging above uh, Lampard. And I read that it's that was his 16th qualifier goal in his last 12 games. I mean, that's insane, isn't it? It's Absolutely amazing. insane. He last um, didn't score in a qualifier in 2017. That's incredible. Wow. I mean, we mentioned the Stones mistake. Um, let's just just cover it. I mean, from my from my point of view, and as Maguire has said, mistakes happen. Um, I do feel that. Stones maybe has been made made the scapegoat. Yes, it was his his little slip, but let's not forget that Pope maybe fed him a uh, a pass that could have been a little bit more direct and harder, and just a, could have been mm. the pair of them. I think can can be held. I don't want this to sound how it sounds, but held it rather the pair of them held accountable rather than just the the finger being pointed at stones. But mistakes happen. We've got to get used to it. They've happened before. They'll happen again. And it's it's a possibility that will happen during the Euros. Oh, absolutely. It's a possibility because you play the best teams in, um, in, in on the continent at that moment. I agree that it was that Pope was was certainly you know somewhat culpable for it. Um, he's, ironically, you know, he's come away from an international break, having played three full games, conceded just one goal, become the first England keeper in history to keep six clean sheets in all of his first six caps. And yet I think he's done his reputation damage rather than rather than well, because, you know, I, I don't remember one kick that was that, that wasn't nervy or, or went, um, you know, went as planned to an England player. I think he is the best shot stopper, but I think Pickford will be back in because, I'm not saying I, I want this, by the way, I probably do, but but this is just a prediction. I think Pickford will be straight back in because the advantage that Pickford has from um, with distribution, given the way England want to play, over Henderson and, and Pope is, is a much bigger gap than any way in which Pick, Pickford might be worse as a shot stopper. So I think he'll be straight back in. And um, on John Stones, I mean, yeah, it was inevitably going to happen at some point. And Gareth has said that a number of times. He um, you know, uh, about his centre-backs. He wants ball-playing centre-backs. The best centre-backs in the world that play that style make mistakes. Um, Francis, Raphael Varane, even Ruben Diaz, Stones' partner for Portugal, they all make mistakes. And and I think I think we, we tend to make things personal in football. We like personal narratives. Um, not harsh, just we like to make it about people and, and think we know them. And people talk about error-prone John Stones for years. I, th- I think that's a bit damaging, really. And, and ultimately, what's happened is one defender who's having an incredible season has has effectively given away a goal. But let's let's face it, the the pass into him wasn't great. So they're both culpable. But um, at least Gareth Southgate and his team have now got something to look back on and learn from. Because if it doesn't happen, you can't learn from it, can you? Exactly. And and that was one thing I was going to say. What what positives do we take not just from this game, but from San Marino and Albania too? Well, I think the formation thing is interesting. Any discussion about England at the moment is about, A, how we can fit so many talented players into, first of all, 23 for the squad for the Euros and 11 on the starting lineup. 
or it's about the formation, whether we should be playing 3-4-3 or 4-3-3. Now, we got through the autumn reasonably well, playing 3-4-3, beat Belgium, got a couple of other decent results, lost a couple of times, but, um, you know, it was all right. And then this time we've won three out of three with 4-3-3. What I thought was interesting is that once we scored the winning goal, Harry Maguire went straight back to 3-4-3 to defend it. He bought on the subs. And we put on that new formation, and we time wasted, you know, pretty well. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I know it's not really in the. Uh... It's football. Exactly, it's football. Um, it's what 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 you've got to do sometimes, isn't it? You've got to you've got to get over the line. But yeah, I think that I think that's um, positive that, that England have shown that they can play three four three effectively, um, you know, when they need to, and four three three. And I think flexibility is key. And Gareth Southgate keeps talking about it, and so do his players. So I think that's an important thing. Another important thing is that that Poland game is probably the last game for a very long time behind closed doors. And for goodness sake, let's get fans back in as soon as possible because it's not as good a product, is it? No, no, not at all. I mean, not not just England, but football in general. Just these funny results as well that that crop up um, just in in the Premier League or, or in Europe this past week. I mean, you, get, you do mm. wonder if there had been fans there, would would that have been like that? You will never know. One other thing I wanted to to just mention, um, as, as the second half wore on, ITV were, were talking about it all the time. I was sitting there thinking about it. Substitutions, should we have changed that? I know, obviously, Maguire scored, and then you kind of think, oh, we didn't need to. I can't. Should we have? Well, I would say you need to look at the bench to know who was available. We didn't... What we would have done, you know, were were Southgate not restricted by injuries, was put on more creative talents, more attacking players in the final thirds. Not necessarily a new striker, but new, you know, new creative wide players or or attacking midfielder um, to get a foothold back in the game and go and score the winner. Now you can't have Grealish because he's injured. You can't have Rashford because he's injured. You can't have Sancho because he's injured, or or, or Madison because he's injured. All you had really was Jesse Lingard. Uh, James Ward-Prowse was also injured. He wasn't available on the day. So it was Jesse Lingard. It was 17-year-old Jude Bellingham, who is not really an attacking midfielder. Or it's striker Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who's basically the same as Harry Kane in terms of what he can offer. He's just a little bit worse, and but but would have been a bit more fresh. Uh, And inevitably, those two did come on very late. I I would say I'm I'm willing to criticise Southgate when I think he deserves it. But I think, you know, there, there weren't really enough options. Maybe you could have bought on Lingard, 10 minutes earlier than, than he did. I think he came on, what would it have been, like 84 or five minutes or so. Could it have been a bit earlier? Maybe for Lingard. I wouldn't say Calvert-Lewin. I thought Kane was playing pretty well. Um, so, no, I think you've got to look at the context, look at who was available. And um, no, I'm not too concerned about that. If the players were there and not injured, we would have used them. Fair enough. So we come away from this international window, three games in, nine points, top of the group. It's where where we wanted to be, um, and and you mentioned a, a lot of names there that weren't part of the the team, the squad. Come the summertime, come these warm up games against Austria and Romania, a lot of those players are going to be fighting for places within this next twenty three. Mm, absolutely, we'll just have to see which way which way uh, you know Gareth Southgate goes. He he keeps saying he knows he's twenty three, and people have been. I've I've been hearing some criticism about that being arrogant. Apparently, that's that's an arrogant thing to say that you know you're twenty three. I think people are misunderstanding what he means. What he means is if he were if he had to pick it tomorrow, he would be able to pick it tomorrow. It doesn't mean that players can't impress him in that time. He hasn't said that. 
So, and I think they will. I think there will be, you know, we will never know because he's not going to admit what it is. But if he was to write down and and send out to the general public his 23 (laughs) for tomorrow, would it be the same as what it actually is? I wouldn't say so. So, so I think people are slightly misunderstanding that, but I think it's a good thing that he's that he and Steve Holland are, are always assessing the situation, and um, we'll just have to see. It's a it's a big eight to ten weeks for these players for their clubs. It'll be a big, exciting eight to ten weeks for uh, for supporters as well. Don, always uh, always a pleasure to speak to you. Englandfootball.org. What's coming up? Anything? Yeah, I've got an interview with. Um, player who won six caps for England in the, in the 1980s and, and a bit of a Spurs legend coming up. I won't say who that is. I'm going to scratch but, my um, head and think. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, lot, lots more content coming, um, you know, from here on, on uh, onwards. So um, yeah, keep your eyes peeled. Good stuff. Look forward to it. Thank you very much. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers. Thank you to Dom there and indeed everyone who has joined me, Aidan, Matt and Rob. I know it's early in the qualifying campaign, but with three match days down, let's take a quick look at things. Now, the most important group is our own group, Group I, uh, where we are currently top with nine points, Hungary are second with seven, Albania third on six, Poland fourth with four, then Andorra and San Marino fifth and sixth respectively, with zero points. Andorra fifth, as they've got a goal difference of minus eight, and San Marino, minus ten. Our World Cup qualification commences again in September, where we could be European champions. 2nd of September, we're away to Hungary. 5th, we're at home to Andorra. Then 8th, away to Poland. Now, elsewhere in Europe, Turkey, to me, were perhaps one of the surprises so far. Two wins in a row, although then they shot themselves in the foot drawing against Latvia. But they top Group G, and that's a group that also features the Netherlands and Norway. And remember, Turkey play Italy in the opening game of the Euros. Germany surprisingly lost at home to North Macedonia, which was the first time they have lost a World Cup qualifier since a certain 5-1 in 2001. And they find themselves third in Group J behind North Macedonia and Armenia, who top the group. Spain top Group B after wins over Kosovo and Georgia, but they initially drew at home to Greece. And holders France, they top Group D after opening their campaign with a home draw against Ukraine. But then two away victories over Kazakhstan and Bosnia-Herzegovina set them straight. Portugal, like France, played one at home, beating Azerbaijan. Then they drew away to Serbia and then they beat Luxembourg. Belgium hit their stride, scoring eight against Belarus, but they were held by the Czech Republic. So like ourselves, with nine points, there are three other nations who also have a 100% record. They are Denmark, Italy, and as I mentioned, perhaps surprisingly, Armenia. But there is a long way to go before all this is finalised. And from a home nation's point of view, Northern Ireland, they lost to Italy, then drew with Bulgaria. Wales lost to Belgium, then beat the Czech Republic. And then Scotland drew with both Israel and Austria before putting four past the Faroe Islands. And of course, I think special mention should go to the Republic of Ireland, who lost to Serbia 
And then Luxembourg. Oh dear. And as I'm sure you're well aware, it's not been a successful European campaign for our under-21s. They lost to both Switzerland and Portugal in their European Championship games and were reliant on results going their way going into their final game against Croatia. It wasn't to be though, and in the very near future, I hope to be speaking a little more about it. Also, the Lionesses have a couple of games too, very soon, so I'll be chatting with Rich Laverty about that. And another podcast I've got coming for you is a chat with a former member of England's backroom staff, which I hope you'll enjoy. They're coming at 3lionspodcast.com or your usual podcast provider. So please, stay subscribed. You won't miss them. Before we finish up, there was the sad news. Just before England got underway in their World Cup qualification, there was the passing of Frank Worthington, who sadly died on Tuesday the 23rd of March, aged 72, following a long illness. Frank amazingly played for 20 clubs in a 26-year period, including Huddersfield, Leicester, Bolton, Birmingham, Southampton, Leeds and Sunderland. And he appeared eight times for England under two different managers, all in 1974, between May and November. He was awarded legacy number 898, and he scored twice, first against Argentina with an acrobatic effort, and then the only goal away to Bulgaria. Then, on the 27th of March, Derek Ufton passed away. He made one appearance for England back in 1953, when he played in a 4-4 draw against the rest of the world side, which was a match played to celebrate the FA's 90th anniversary. He was a Charlton Athletic defender, playing over 260 times for the Addicts. He was also a wicketkeeper for both Kent and England. Derek was England's 723rd player and was the oldest living England international. He was 92 years old. Thoughts for both are with their respective family and friends. So until the next time, cheers. Cheers.